play and stay on Washington State's Kitsap Peninsula, the natural side of the Puget Sound. Stand up paddleboarding, hiking, great restaurants and breweries. I'll tell you more about your next vacation destination later in the show. Cairo, Seattle. Bell, and this is Your Last Meal, a show about famous people and the stories behind the foods they love most. Today on the program, Camila Alves McConaughey. Camila is a model and co-author of the new children's book, Just Try One Bite. She wrote the book with Adam Mansbach, author of the insanely popular book, Go the to Sleep. Camila's Last Meal is a dish made by her husband, actor Matthew McConaughey. And the secret ingredient is a top-secret family spice blend that they will not share with anybody outside the family. But as I learned over the past week or so, a lot of beloved family recipes aren't as pure as they seem. Everyone loved mom's lasagna. When my mother passed away, I was talking to my sister about it. And that must have been a recipe that was handed down, you know, from grandmother to my mom for generations. And then my sister said to me, no, mom got it from the back of a jar of ragu. I got dozens and dozens and dozens of messages just like this. And I will share some of those stories coming up. And Camila is from Brazil, so we'll learn a bit about the cuisine and the history with Brazilian food writer Jaini Machkovich. But first, my conversation with Camila Alves McConaughey. Camila's new children's book, Just Try One Bite, reverses the traditional parent-child roles. Instead of the parents trying to get their kids to eat healthier foods, in this book, it's the parents who want nothing but donuts and candy— and the kids who finally convinced mom and dad to eat a vegetable. I knew it. After all that fussing, you like it. You love it. You fought us for nothing. I'm glad so in the book, it is a role reversal. You know, instead of the parents trying to get the kids to eat healthy, the kids are trying to get the parents to eat healthy. And that made me think about something I read, uh, which is kind of a role reversal, that you eat baby food sometimes. So how did that start? <laughs> that is a funny thing. When after I gave birth to my third child, Livingston. Uh, he is nine years old now. You know, I was making all the baby food and all that stuff and I liked it. And, you know, I just kind of would eat here and there, whatever leftovers was there. And I went on this journey to build up this company called Yummy Spoonfuls, which started as frozen organic baby food. Look, we had to really create something different. Nobody was doing frozen baby food on a mass scale. And uh, we had to do a lot of testing, a lot of trial, a lot of different recipes. And I just started loving it because mm. the food was really good. It just tasted really, really yummy. So like, you know, for a snack, I'll just grab one of the, the baby foods that we had. And that's kind of how that started. And then I started to incorporate into different recipes. I mean, it works. But it has to be good. If you're buying the stuff just like off the shelf, that stuff doesn't taste that good. And it's got yeah. so much sugar content in it. So that's not going to work. So if anybody's listening, like that's not the kind of baby food I was eating. <laughs> and also, like, if you think about it, the way you're describing it, then it's just vegetable and fruit purees, right? Like baby food makes it sound kind of silly, but you're just eating pureed food. It was fresh vegetables, fresh fruits, lightly cooked, and then immediately frozen. So it's as fresh as you can get. So I read that you actually will cook with them, too, and not just eat it plain. What is a, like one of your favorite recipes that incorporates one of the baby foods? So I used to incorporate like some of the pear sauce and applesauce for baking. 
So instead of using sugar and things like that, different cakes or cookies. And then quite honest, we had like two or three different kinds that were so good that I would just saute it with the veggie ones that I would just saute it with garlic, onions, some tomatoes and salt and cook it. It would be the most amazing soup just ready to go. I will say you're not the first person I've interviewed on this show that eats baby food. Um, tennis star Maria Sharapova also, when she was competing, ate a lot of baby food. Really? Yeah. I not Fun fact. But, but again, I want to make it clear. I was eating the fresh stuff. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you go and open that, you know, that jar that looks horrible yeah. on the shelf. You're like, what is she talking about? This is horrible. <laughs> it smells bad. Those smell funky. When we come back, Camila shares her last meal. And what if grandma's famous fried chicken is really just a bucket of KFC served on a nice serving dish? Listeners share stories of when they learn the truth about beloved, quote, family recipes. If you're a fan of naturally gorgeous, off-the-beaten-path vacation spots with small-town charm, you're going to want to plan a visit to Washington State's Kitsap Peninsula, where you can grab a scoop of homemade ice cream and stroll around the adorable European seaside village of Palsbo, or walk on the ferry in Seattle and get off in downtown Bainbridge Island. And May is the perfect month to visit Bremerton or Silverdale, where you can get out of the city and into the forest in just 15 minutes for a beautiful hike. Enjoy a farm-to-table meal at Bremerton's Restaurant Lola, a Black-owned business. I really need to make the trip out there for their Creole brunch. And in the morning, stop by Saboteur Bakery for croissants that are so flaky and buttery, you'll think you're in Paris. There's also a gorgeous golf course in the middle of the forest, and there are several naval museums in Bremerton. Go to visitkitsap.com slash yourlastmeal to learn more. That's K-I-T-S-A-P, or you can find a link in the show notes. Play and stay on the Kitsap Peninsula, the natural side of the Puget Sound. If you like listening to Your Last Meal, you might like watching my new TV show, The Nosh with Rachel Bell. We just wrapped up season one, so there are four tasty episodes ready for you to binge at CascadePBS.org. In episode one, I convince an East Coast skeptic that Seattle now has fantastic bagels. And in the season finale, we go truffle hunting just about an hour outside of Seattle. Episodes are a quick bite just eight and a half minutes long. So grab a snack and cozy up with the nosh available anytime, anywhere at cascadepbs.org or find a link in the show notes. So the big question of the show, what would you choose to eat for your last meal? Oh, I would choose to eat the cheeseburger that my husband makes. Tell me more. What is it like? It's just really good. Either that or the ribeye that he makes. The ribeye. I think I'm going to change the ribeye. Okay. You can change. Yeah. I think I'm changing to the ribeye. I'll change. I'll have the ribeye with the yucca fries. Mm, I actually just watched a little video on your Instagram today of your kids like snatching those off the plate super quick. They're so good, guys. They're so good. Yes, I think just a plate of steak, yucca fries, and kale. So I take kale. Camila says her husband, Matthew Steak, is special. We have a special seasoning that I cannot share. Sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> just but for your we, family? We give it to friends and family for Christmas. 
every time somebody runs out, they send a picture of the empty jar going, can I please have some more? (laughs) Uh, It's really great seasoning for everything. So he uses that. He cooks to perfection. Uh, He just knows how to do it. Is that his seasoning blend that he came up with? Yes. Do you know about how many spices go in there? Oh, let me see. Let me think about this. Oh, maybe 10. Okay. I'm so curious. So why do you why do you keep it a secret? Because it's got to be a secret. It's a family secret. Okay, just to keep it special for the family. Yeah, not share that. Don't want anybody stealing that. Yeah. (laughs) So is there going to be like a time in your kids lives where you take them aside and you say you've turned 18? You can now have the recipe for the family spice blend. Maybe when you wing to their 21. Oh, yeah. (laughs) No, yeah. You got to make sure they're fully legal. (laughs) There has to be a ceremony and a whole thing. <laughs> uh, but you know, it's so funny talking about, you know, family secrets or whatever it is. I did not learn to cook with my mother. Mm-hmm. My mother was not too good of a um, patient teacher in the kitchen. You know, she would be like, okay, you do this. And then you start doing it. And then all of a sudden she would just take over. And uh-huh. she was doing everything, right. I need to do it myself to really kind of get that memory of like how to do it. So I never really learned from her. I kind of learned by myself. But my daughter was with her in Brazil, solo time with my daughter, and she started teaching her all this stuff. And my daughter came home and I will be cooking. And then my daughter will pop in, be like, oh, no, that's not how you do this. Oh, you have to do that. And I was like, oh, my God, just like my mom did not share all the tricks with me. So I quietly go, okay, Vita, what is it now? How do you, you know, you get the tricks? <laughs> wow, you have like a little spy who went in and a got little, all of the recipes for you. A little spy getting all the little, the little tips. <laughs> That's so interesting. Do you think your mom just became more patient as she got older to have a grandkid there? Is it just more fun for her to share how her process works now? I, I think so. You know, it's, you know, and, and it's a grandchild. Yeah. Right? a different relationship and easier and more fun. Yes. For her last meal, Camila wants a ribeye prepared by her husband with the secret family seasoning blend, yucca fries and sauteed kale. And as soon as she started talking about this 10 spice seasoning blend, I instantly thought of the most clever thing on social media the KFC Twitter page. KFC has a million and a half followers, but they are only following 11 accounts. Herb Alpert, Victoria Beckham, Herb Waters, Mel C. KFC only follows members of the Spice Girls and men named Herb. Are you getting where this is going? Okay, I'll be more direct. They only follow 11 herbs and spices. 11 herbs and spices. It's so genius. I love it so much. Someday, I hope my legacy is something as grand as the KFC Twitter account. Okay, so after learning about the secret McConaughey family spice blend, I started researching secret family recipes. And the same theme came up over and over again. Recipes that people thought were their grandmas or their dads or their aunts passed down from generation to generation were not. Homemade recipes were not so homemade after all. My dad made the best baked beans I'd ever tasted in my life. That's listener Marcy. For years, I never asked my dad for the recipe because I figured it was a long and involved process until one time I wanted to impress some friends at a party. So I called my dad and asked him if I could finally get that recipe for the baked beans. 
When he told me that he started out his beans by opening a couple of cans of Van de Camp's pork and beans, I absolutely could not believe my ears. We both laughed together until we cried. I put out a call on Instagram and Facebook for stories like this, and you delivered. I got so many messages, and apparently all of your grandmas, dads, aunts, uncles, and moms are a bunch of shortcut-taking liars. Even Danny Meyer, the Michelin-starred New York City restaurateur who's open more than a dozen restaurants, including Shake Shack, has a story just like this. Danny told Gastro Obscura that when he was opening his barbecue joint, Blue Smoke, he wanted to serve his dear departed grandma's potato salad, the best potato salad he'd ever had. So he hunted down the three by five card where she had scrawled the recipe by hand and gave it to his cooks to recreate. And when he came back to the kitchen for a tasting, he was flooded with nostalgia. They got the recipe exactly right. But the cooks could not stop giggling. So Danny asked them, what is so funny? They pulled out a big jug of Hellman's mayonnaise and printed right on the back of the jug was the same exact recipe. Danny's family's beloved potato salad was actually just the official Hellman's recipe for potato salad. Here are some of my favorite stories from listeners. Back when I was a newlywed, my husband had mentioned more than once that his mom made the best beef stroganoff. I'm a new wife. I want to impress him. I walked up the hill to the Skyway Library, copied down the recipe, stopped at the store on the way home, got my ingredients, came home, made it from scratch. So proud of myself. Then years later, I'm telling this to his mom, and she proceeds to tell me that the whole time she had just been making Hamburger Helper. My grandmother was a force to be reckoned with, but she wasn't a great cook, which you wouldn't expect in a Jewish grandmother, but there it is. One thing that she made that was always great was matzo balls. Every year we would try to find out how she made the matzo balls because they were so good. She would never tell. She said, that's my secret recipe. I'm not sharing it. One year, she finally relented by handing my mother the Manischewitz mix box. She didn't do anything special. She used the mix. She followed the directions. So now that's my secret recipe. I'm not ashamed and I'm not afraid to share it. My husband used to rave about this split pea soup that his childhood friend's mother used to make. It was his all-time favorite meal, best thing he's ever had, but he thought he'd never get to have it again since they grew up and lost touch. Uh, well, I told him through the power of social media to reach out and see if he could get that recipe and we'd try to recreate it and see if it still held up. So he finally heard back from this friend and all he got in response was a picture of the back of the bag of split peas that you can get at any Kroger, Fred Meyer... All this time, it was just the generic store brand recipe. My Aunt Gail was born and raised in Georgia, and she moved to the Southwest. Every time we would visit, she would bring out her famous peach pie, and hers was the absolute best. The crust was flaky and delicious. Every piece of peach was ripe. The entire thing was just an experience. It was also from Marie Callender's. <laughs> She would go out, bring home a peach pie, slide it into a glass pie dish, and serve it up like she had spent all morning making it. We only found out about it when she and my uncle were going through a divorce. My mom showed up to help 
She was helping pack up the kitchen and she opened one of the lower cabinets and all of these Marie Callender pie tins came sliding out, like a hundred of them. And that's when my Aunt Gail came clean about the fact that her famous peach pie was not her famous peach pie. So I have a story kind of similar to the matzo ball story you heard earlier. My Grandma Sue, also a Jewish grandma, also not a good cook, but it's not like she was trying. This woman did not care about food. She often mixed all of her food together on the plate. And when we commented that those foods might not taste good mixed together, she would say, eh, it all goes to the same place. She ate a lot of tuna from cans. Growing up, my mom ate TV dinners and vegetables from cans. And Grandma Sue always had plastic wrap slices of generic American cheese in the fridge that always vaguely tasted like mothballs. But there was one dish that she made from scratch. It was her vegetable barley soup. One day when I was in high school, I went over to her house after school and she was standing over the stove, a very rare sight, mixing this pot. It smelled really good. She was making the vegetable barley soup. And I walked up to the stove and right there on the counter next to the pot was an empty package of Manischewitz vegetable barley soup. And I started squawking. Grandma, you always said this was your homemade soup. To which she replied, what are you talking about? Of course it's my homemade soup. I add my own carrots. Here's the thing. Brands create these recipes in test kitchens with the intention of them becoming family recipes that feel like they belong to you. So unlike a cookbook where you have a relationship with the author, the recipe on the side of a generic Kroger bag of split peas is nameless and faceless and feels way more generic. But these companies have test kitchens and they hire cooks, sometimes former home ec teachers, because they're trying to appeal to home cooks. And some of these people work in these kitchens for decades and they come up with hundreds, even thousands of recipes. And if they're lucky, one of them will be iconic, like the green bean casserole invented in Campbell's Test Kitchen by Test Kitchen manager Dorcas Riley. We will not comment on her name because she is a genius. And in 1955, she created the green bean casserole to help them sell more cream of mushroom soup. A few years ago, Baker Stella Parks of Serious Eats and Braveheart Cookbook fame pretty much upset the entire state of Florida when she revealed through research and records that she found that key lime pie is actually not from Key West. She says it was invented in New York by Borden Milk Company in order to sell more sweetened condensed milk. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to learn the history of Brazilian food and the hardest thing, culinarily speaking, about moving from Brazil to America. Brazil, I'm curious who cooked in your family growing up and what were some of the foods that you ate all the time that you really loved? The cooking influence was really my mom and all my aunts and my grandmother. All the ladies, they all cooked really well. You know, we had a lot of rice and beans and that's kind of staple of Brazil, but it's different ways. Like you go to different states, it's different ways of making it. 
So my state, you know, the farm style beans, I just love it so much. I still do it. Like in my household, we always have a pot of beans in the stove. What makes these beans special? Like what are the flavors that stand out from the region you're from? It's just like a lot of garlic, a lot Mm. of onions. You add the tomatoes, you cook slowly. I mean, part of it too, is you're getting beans from the region, right? That were grown in the region. So it's got a different flavor too. And then feijoada, and I don't know if you ever Mm. heard of it. Yeah. That it's basically a mix of all kinds of different meats and it all cooks together with the beans. And some weird stuff goes in there. I don't get close to those. but Like what? You know, they will put like chicken feet Mm. and whatever left over, whatever that was not used from the animals, they just throw it all in there. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a dish that started with the African slaves that came back that whatever leftovers they will find, they will put it with the beans and cook. That's the origin of the uh, the dish. So that one, I love it as well. And then my mom just used to make the best lasagna, the best lasagna. And I do it. I do a version for my kids. It's not as good as hers, but you know, you do the layers meat sauce and then ham cheese meat sauce ham cheese the pasta you know so it's got it's very meaty it's not the italian version with ricotta cheese and spinach is it like deli slices of ham yes and then what kind of cheese do you use i just use mozzarella cheese Mm -hmm. okay it has that cheesiness but just not the ricotta layer you just skip that part exactly but you have so much more meat so yeah as cheesy, cheesy. It's more meaty. And then for the meat sauce too, are there Brazilian spices that you would use? Is it still like a tomatoey meat sauce? No, it's just a tomato meat sauce. You know, Brazilian spices are very simple. It's not like Indian food mm. or it's very basic. It's like, you know, garlic, salt, onions, tomatoes. Like mm-hmm. that's kind of like the base for a lot of our things that we start with. I feel like I kind of cook like that mostly too. If I have garlic, lemon, olive oil and salt, anything tastes good. Yeah. In the U.S., it seems like most people are familiar with Brazilian food through Brazilian steakhouses serving giant skewers of barbecued meat. But obviously, there is so much more to their cuisine, especially since Brazil is a huge country with so many regional dishes. I have probably only eaten Brazilian food once or twice in my lifetime, so I called in an expert. I'm Jaini Machkevich. I'm a food writer from Brazil. From the Amazon, and I've been living in the U.S. for almost six years now, and it's been an adventure. (laughs) I bet. Jaini was actually visiting her family in the Amazon region of Brazil when we spoke. I've been to the Peruvian Amazon, but I was like in a tent. The water was brown like chocolate milk. We actually went piranha fishing and ate what we caught. (laughs) Are you in the middle of the jungle right now? Uh, technically, it is the jungle, but you know, it's a, it's a city. But I grew up where I grew up. It was a village, literally in the middle of the Amazon. I could walk uh, two blocks and then I would be by the river. I grew up fishing and, you know, eating local ingredients like and, and a lot of piranhas also. <laughs> I ate a lot of piranhas when I was a kid. What's that? The, the fish, the piranhas are the, the fish. Oh, <laughs> pira- oh the piranhas? I was so surprised how tiny they are because I'd only seen them in cartoons as a kid. And, you know, they have this reputation of being so vicious. So I thought it was going to be this huge fish. And I mean, it fit in the palm of your hand. It was at least the one that we got was tiny. (laughs) I think they they can be a little bigger, but usually they're not that scary. And and they make a delicious soup. So (laughs) Brazilian food is a delicious amalgamation of many cultures. But that history is not so pretty. 
the Portuguese invaded Brazil in the year 1500 and colonized the country for hundreds of years. In 1530, they forced Africans into slavery, and the legal slave trade continued until 1850. So some of Brazil's most beloved dishes are a mix of those cultures, tied in with the foods of the indigenous people who lived on that land for over 10,000 years. What are some of the ingredients, or even if there's any dishes that came from the native culture before the Portuguese came in and colonized? I would say fish. We learn how to eat freshwater fish in a way that is so particular, so unique. The way the native cooked it, the way they seasoned it, you know, because they didn't have the salt. They found another ways of adding layers of flavoring. We use a lot of yuca or cassava or how we call it in Brazil, manjaca. You know, at that point, the natives didn't use any wheat. You could live without any other kind of carb, just with the huge amount of dishes that we make with yuca. What was the food that the Africans brought? A lot of famous Brazilian dishes are from African influence. What I find most interesting is that not all of them remained African. It was kind of they adapted it to what they had. So we have, for example, acarajé, which is one of my favorite dishes. African black eye pea fritter. You fry it in palm oil and then you slice it like a sandwich and then you fill it with a, it's kind of a cream made of peanuts and more palm oil and spices, onions, garlic. Mm. And then you top it with fresh green tomatoes like a salad and dried shrimp. And this is like just fantastic. It's amazing. It's one of our dishes I'm most proud of. This dish remained very African, but acarajé is very Brazilian. You could be by the beach drinking an ice cold beer and eating a a hot acarajé. Yum. So you said that you kind of cut it open like a sandwich. Is that something that you eat with your hands or with a knife and a fork? No, with your hands, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> and you're supposed to, you know, get dirty while you eat it because you have the palm oil that is very red. You know, the color is beautiful. It's like sun. It's the whole vibe of my country. It's sunny. It's warm. People are happy. It's spicy. I don't know. It's just fantastic to be there and eat that kind of food when you are there in the northeast of Brazil. It just feels like that dish specifically was born there. What's an example of a dish (laughs) that's really popular that has a lot of Portuguese influence? We eat a lot of bacalhau, which is the salted cod, and also the sweets. The sweets are very, very Portuguese. We still have, for example, pastel de nata, which is a very Portuguese kind of dish. It's huge. We do eat a lot of Portuguese food. And just like a lot of melting pot countries, the food continues to evolve through immigration. Brazil has a large Japanese population, so she says sushi is really popular. But Brazilians also have a fascination with American food. We're crazy about burgers and fries and pizza. Like you can find pizza everywhere. But of course, it's different, like a Brazilian pizza, you know. So we always take something and kind of, you know, change it just a tiny bit, just so it will feel more Brazilian. (laughs) I'm curious what the popular (laughs) toppings are for pizza, because, you know, traveling around the world, there is pizza everywhere. You know, I've had pizza with (laughs) tuna fish on it, with corn on it in Japan, having like a layer of mayonnaise under the cheese. So what in Brazil are the popular toppings that you've made at your own? 
all kinds of toppings, like you can imagine. For example, we have corn pizza, heart of palm pizza, and we don't have pepperoni. So we have our own kind of sausage that we call calabrese. And it's overload of feeling. It's very heavy. Like, and you eat this with a fork and a knife. So it would be more like a pie, you know, that you share and you eat at the table. It's not like casual, like American pizza. Okay. So on that note, I want to talk about Brazilian lasagna, which is something <laughs> that Camila loves that her mom made growing up. And when I looked online, it looked like there was a lot of different versions shredded chicken that had been cooked down with, you know, Brazilian mm-hmm. flavors, always the ham and the cheese. The shredded chicken lasagna, which is the most popular one, you will have chilies and onions and, you know, tomatoes and garlic, green onions in the sauce. The noodles are pretty much the same, but then we use mozzarella cheese and then you use bechamel to top it off. And the ham is mandatory for Brazilian lasagna. Uh-huh. And it, this is like a Sunday dish, you know, Sunday lunch kind of dish. And pretty much every family has its own recipe. You know, we Brazilians, we're not really into recipes, Rachel, which is a thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> we don't follow recipes because we cook with a lot of intuition. And I think that's important, you know, and because you learn how to make something by feeling that, you know, by cooking and and learning as you go. So every family has its own version of it. Jaini says people eat out usually for special occasions, but they are a culture of home cooks. We have a tradition of eating lunch at home. People that work stop their their work hours around 11 they go home they cook they eat they take a nap and then they go back to work and (laughs) that's lovely isn't it i love that concept and then people prepare like a lot of food a lot of separate pots and pans with you know diverse food so we have a bunch of legumes and and salads and vegetables they're like stews and then rice and beans always and you can have like chicken or fish or beef. This is comida farta. It's like you have enough to feed, I know, 10 people, but it is sometimes it's just two people at home. And it's very difficult, for example, when they come here, that I just cook one thing, because that's how I do in America. Yeah. It's usually I'm in a rush. And for Brazilians, it doesn't work like that most of the times. If we have lasagna, for example, we eat this with rice. You know, because the rice soaks up the juices of the the hot lasagna and it just works. I know it's carbs on carbs, but it's good. I'm cooking a lasagna tonight. And then my mom said, you have to cook rice. You know, people want to eat rice with lasagna. Coming to the States, was it hard for you to adjust to not having that big siesta of getting to go home in the middle of the day and make lunch and take a nap? I mean, that is not in our culture. Was that hard to adjust to? It was really hard. It is still is because, you know, our food is very rich here in Brazil and you eat a lot. You have to take that time <laughs> to let your body do the work and then, you know, relax a little bit. It was really, really hard for me at first to get used to just eating a sandwich, for example, because it doesn't happen here in Brazil. Like you don't eat a sandwich for lunch. I think nowadays I feel more comfortable with it. You know, I'm just going to eat something lighter and then I'll keep working. But I 
honestly hope eventually I'll have the privilege of sleeping <laughs> after lunch again. Yes. I'm back at the office now for the first time in a long time. It's not satisfying eating at a desk in this food. Like I want to eat out of a real bowl and I want to eat something <laughs> that I just made. It's just not as satisfying. Maybe, Rachel, we should start with a movement, you know, getting people to actually take the time they need to enjoy their meal, you you know, to savor the meal and really think about what you're eating and not like eating uh, on the desk or just like you're in a rush because you have to get things done. Because this is such an important part of who we are, right? Just taking the time to eat. And we do this in Brazil a lot. I'm really really proud of it actually i think that's one of the things i love the most in brazil it's just like we do enjoy our meals and most of the times we're you know with our family we are sharing how our day is going just looking forward to be together at the table let's check back in one more time with camila I read that you love to floss. Is that true? Oh my gosh. It, it's it's crazy. I cannot go without flossing. And it, this might get too much information, but it's not necessarily that I like it. It's because I have to. I get headaches. Like if I have anything stuck between my teeth, I don't know if anybody listening has the same experience, but I have to get things out. Like I cannot have things stuck in there. So I carry a floss everywhere. I got to. Do you know that story? I don't know because you didn't grow up here. Do you know the old story, The Princess and the Pea? No, I don't. Because that makes me think. So The Princess and the Pea, the whole story is that this princess, like even if she sleeps on 20 soft mattresses, she can still feel the little pea at the bottom and it's not soft enough for her. And that makes me think of like that, how you can get a headache from like having one little thing between your teeth. It's so fascinating that, you know, your body can feel it. My body's like, nope, this is not meant to be here. <laughs> get out. Yeah. 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 <laughs> And that was Camila Alves McConaughey's Last Meal. Her new book, Just Try One Bite, is out soon on March 22nd. You can pre-order it now. Thanks to all of you who sent in your stories. I loved all of them. Follow along on Instagram, Hello Rachel Bell. I put out calls asking for your input every once in a while. So make sure and keep an eye on my stories if you want to participate. Thanks to food writer Jaini Machkevich. She is competing on a new Julia Child-inspired cooking show that comes out March 14th. It's called The Julia Child Challenge on the Food Network. And I am so excited for this show as a big Julia Child fan. It's a cooking competition with home cooks who love Julia Child just as much as I do. I didn't know any English, and and that's why I moved to the U.S., because all the cookbooks I wanted to read were in English. (laughs) You moved over so you could read cookbooks. That's amazing. (laughs) I moved to the U.S. because of Julia. Oh, number one was mastering the art of French cooking. (laughs) I wanted to read that book so much. Your Last Meal is produced by Laura Scott and me. Original theme music by Prom Queen. I'm Rachel Bell, and this is Your Last Meal. It was so special to get to have Granny's pickled beets. And I remember thinking, like, I want to do this one day. I want to grow food and put love for people into sharing these food experiences.
(laughs) And then as an adult, and I am sitting around the table with my dad, and I'm talking about Granny's pickled beets, and he totally burst all my childhood dreams by telling me that my Granny bought canned beets, and she would put them in a pot and quote-unquote doctor them up, and then would jar them. So we were just eating canned beets that she put in a jar. (laughs) It was so disappointing to learn that in adulthood. 